everybody, it's your boy Fatal. You can now catch us on Spotify, Google, Apple, and Stitcher. Catch us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for enjoying the show. Yes, it is your boy Fatal. And we're back with Fatal Foils, covering the Disney Plus series Loki and deep diving some things here and there, a little of everywhere, in episodic mannerism for your listening pleasure. I may be wrong here and there, but that's part of the fun. I'm still holding out for Mephisto. But until then, we're going to grab our temp pads and go back in time for this week's episode of Loki. And as always, spoilers, here's your warning. Make sure you have seen this episode first. Don't DM me saying, Fatal, you spoiled the show, because that is literally what this show is. So thanks for joining me, and let's get started. A recap kind of berating the legacy of the TVA and the legend of the Timekeepers. And the mystery that we left off on of Loki and Enchantress being up shit creek without a paddle, but we have assumptions that Mobius and the TVA are either going to come in and save them, or this is going to be an illusion of Sylvie's. Open on an oddly empty Asgard with no gods to save a young Sylvie playing with her toys, Playing with Fenrir in a boat, Sylvie gets teleported into the TVA. Similar to Loki in the first episode, the same confusion and reluctance, but much more intensified for a child who probably has murdered an abundance of people, considering Loki. I don't, I don't think Sylvie's done that yet. Sylvie escaping the clutches of a new-to-the-force Ravona Renslayer, now cut to a present-day Ravona approaching the likes of the Timekeepers, an ominous Legends of the Hidden Temple-style room complete with fog machines and red eyes galore. Mobius being the first to approach Ravona on her return, his attempts to comfort her from the safety of his unknowing about the timekeepers, his safety and his blinded belief, Ravona knows a different truth. Her appearing to be fearful of what could happen and in the realm of the TVA, I wouldn't imagine there is much for them to be afraid of so close to a cosmic entity. I'd imagine a consequence for them would be on apocalyptic proportions, but even with Mobius's drive to push forward and complete the mission, which would bring ease to both him and Ravona, Ravona won't let Mobius see Hunter C20. Why? Because she's dead? How did that happen? Immediately, this episode started giving Ravona major villainess vibes. Ravona looking away, which is a telltale for a lie. Ravona asking Mobius to keep their conversation between them. Like Ravona playing with Mobius's loyalty, his desperation to be her favorite, her number one go-to guy. She's playing that quality within him to manipulate him. If I didn't know any better, Ravona was doing Enchantress's head game magic. Giving Mobius the incentive of danger as a consequence, Mobius is off to Lamentis to find Loki and Sylvie. A scene with falling space debris unfolds with Loki and Sylvie gathering around a couple of rocks to have a deep conversation. This scene reminds me why I believe that this was an illusion for Sylvie orchestrated by Loki. They almost seemed at ease during this con- this scene, like there wasn't a danger of falling rocks, and Sylvie has only seen Loki while her eyes have been open while on Lamentis. Loki almost acting how Sylvie did with Hunter C20, 
always acting as a therapist for Sylvie to talk to, to open up to, but no, this emotional externalizing forming the physical manifestation that could have been the illusion from her memories, even her saying she remembers Asgard, but alas, it was not an illusion. So keeping ourselves grounded in reality, we have to see the relationship at play, knowing what we know now as if we know the end of the episode. The universe wants to break free, so it manifests chaos. This is something we've heard Loki say before in a therapeutic fashion, almost as if Loki broke through to her the same way Mobius broke through to Loki proper. Sylvie saying she was born the goddess of mischief, and that this, given enough time, led to the detour in the sacred timeline, causing the TVA to go after her. We still don't know what definitively was the biggest detour or the, or the time red flag Sylvie set off, because she later asked Ravona what that event was with no answer to be found. Sylvie's timeline was erased and her childhood now taken by the Time Variant Authority, Sylvie's mere existence started to branch realities and timelines everywhere she went. To evade the TVA she hid amongst impending disaster-ridden timelines, dying worlds, this kind of character can introduce us to knowledge beyond the MCU canon, being someone who could have prior knowledge of Deadpool in Deadpool vs. the Marvel Universe, and how he once destroyed the entire universe going into the future MCU. Shang-Chi is currently fighting the Marvel Universe in the comics, so Sylvie could instantly recognize our new MCU Shang-Chi for some canon reason or another. Hunter B-15 and Mobius back at the TVA scanning timelines for the Loki duo. Hunter B-15 inquires about Hunter C-20. Hunter B-15 acting slightly uncharacteristic from how certain her character has acted prior to this. The actress Wanmi Mosaku, who plays Hunter B-15, really knows how to portray two emotions at the same time. If if you've ever seen Lovecraft Country, she's an actress I would love to see react to uncertainty. Disney showing off their special effects budget stunting on Doctor Who and the CWDC shows of special effects. Great shows, but Marvel treating these shows like episodic movies really allows Loki to shine amongst all of these other television adaptations for superheroes or anything involving special effects, like Merlin on sci-fi. They look beautiful. Even Game of Thrones dragons, they look beautiful, but they all kind of pale in comparison to what Disney's willing to do and work with with these special effects. In the glow of a dying world, Lady Loki asks if being destined to lose is what makes a Loki. Our Loki has never been able to empathize with anyone but himself, especially when he's murdering people. But with Sylvie here to allow Loki to look within himself or a version of himself, he can find something deeper. An understanding that allows him to take the blunt force of someone else's emotions and the ability to reciprocate those emotions. Accrediting himself and teaching us to never say die, to persevere, something we should tell ourselves. With metaphors as strong as a child taking on a universal entity, Loki tells himself, Sylvie, he can do anything. But more than that, he's telling someone who spent their life trying to avoid being in someone's tyrannical shadow that they were amazing, not just himself. It can be seen as self-love with as controversial as it is, but no matter how you look at it, it's love to be there to absorb the pain for someone else, and Loki knows a thing or two about pain. Arguably, this buildup couldn't have happened without first Mobius teaching him to open up about himself to allow emotions to flow. The love is rushed, but with meaningful and practiced substance to 
among it, among it, these actors really pushing forward, using every dead silence to show a grander emotion behind all the actions. Now, this part made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. When Loki and Sylvie share a moment, the TVA gets a ping. This would have gotten a ping from Lamentus's Apocalypse had it not been written off already. Loki and Sylvie's love triggered another Nexus event in one of crazy proportions, allowing the TVA to find the pair and return them to HQ. With true worry for one another, the duo are brought into separate rooms to be interrogated. Our Loki by Mobius. Loki and Mobius acting like a couple of angry brothers, Loki commenting on his comparative lack of security, wanting to be the bigger threat out of him and, him and Sylvie. Ramping up his resistance, Mobius and Loki lash out at each other, Loki simplifying Mobius. Mobius, done with the witty banter, calls Loki an asshole and a bad friend. Loki takes it in because Lokius and Loki and Mobius are friends on a deeper understanding. Mobius has seen through Loki, so both are able to get to each other. Mobius acknowledging Loki's last desperate trick he mentioned a couple episodes ago, and Loki spilling the beans, giving Mobius something to chew on in return, stating everyone at the TVA are very before sending him to a time pocket in which Loki had stolen Lady Sif's hair, which in Nordic mythology is true, which leads to the creation of Mjolnir. I don't know about Marvel canon, but this is a better known Loki story as it involves the creation of one of Lore's most famous weapons, but here we receive a comedic scene of Loki getting repetitiously kicked in his mischievous balls. Let's take a second to understand this Lady Sif in Marvel canon. Lady Sif is the warrior goddess of the Vanir. As guardian and sister of Heimdall, the sentinel of the Rainbow Bridge connecting Asgard and Midgard, Sif once having beautiful blonde hair, now having strands of knot, referring to her hair that was now black as night. Due to Loki cutting it all off and jealousy of Thor, who saved Sif from their sister, Hela. Unable to stay on Earth for her lover Thor, Sif had to relinquish her love for Thor to Jane Foster and eventually finding himself in the arms of Beta Ray Bill, where Sif and Bill fought for the good of Asgard until Sif's eventual death, much later on, finding herself struggling to resurrect due to Loki robbing the body meant for her soul. She eventually rejoined the living in Oklahoma, where the Asgardians then resided, going by the human name Sylvan. Sif had been qualified to become a new mighty Thor, and even joined up with Captain Marvel in an all-new Avengers team-up, the War Avengers. After her brother's death, Sif took up his mantle as Guardian of the Bifrost, completing her list of powers as followed. She has super speed, super strength, durability, reflexes, density, longevity, and all Asgardian characteristics, as well as instant teleportation and chronokinesis, allowing her to view past events. So Lady Sif kneeing Loki's testicles would hurt quite an insane amount considering the super strength, and she can look back on it and laugh in real time. Loki's desperate attempts to gain Lady Sif's trust shows Loki he's not as trustworthy on face value as he may think. How would you react to being told everything you ever believed was a lie? The TVA is Mobius's life and something he's only been recently doubting, with Loki being his possible only way into this insight, the duality of trusting Loki must torture Mobius to no end. This brings Mobius to Ravona to convince her to allow him audience with Sylvie. Ravona seemingly firm on this. Could this be because whatever doubts Ravona sees within him could be realized in a tricky conversation with Sylvie, having let Sylvie once escape as a kid? This one is more personal to Ravona. Ravona giving off more villainous vibes in a dim-lit room with a timekeeper statue overseeing the loft. It screamed Big Bad. Much like in WandaVision, the villain could be here the whole time, and it's Ravona. Ravona saying things like breaking people and using a higher power as influence for manipulation. It reeks of conformity and fascism. 
Mobius enters the scene on a group of TVA agents who fought Sylvie to get her into the interrogation room. Mobius comments that TVA has brought in Titans, Kree, and Vampires. Now, this line isn't a throwaway line. It semi-confirms vampire Marvel characters. While we know the Titan brought in could be Thanos, and the Kree could be the squad seen in Captain Marvel or beyond, but the Vampires has to be a nod to our favorite Daywalker, Blade. Or more soon to be recent, Morbius, the living vampire, with Jared Leto starring in the Sony Pictures lead role. Returning the scene where Loki still getting his nuts assaulted by Sif's knee, Loki attempts to apologize for him being a lonely narcissist, Sif confirming it and walking away, almost metaphorical for Loki having need himself in the nuts. Mobius enters to bring Loki back into a familiar setting from episode 1. I'm excited when I see this room because of all the incredible exposition that these two actors get to perform for us. A setting of simplicity and intensity in this scene is definitely intense because we've carried a lot of baggage and anticipation for the reunion of these two characters. Now almost on equal ground, each line delivered feels like a heavier blow, carrying more weight, less on the heels of surprise, allowing every thought and feeling stored up to pour out from this rejoining, and it's only been one episode without them together. There's something to be said for incredible acting and writing when the time spent watching the show feels valuable, meaningful, minute for minute. I'm sure a lot of couples got some entertainment out of this next part. When asked what Loki's relationship to Sylvie is, if it's some sort of underling scenario, Loki says absolutely not. She's difficult, irritating, and she tries to hit me all the time. Which sounds like some of the girls that I've dated. Moby is saying he won't be lectured on the real world by a prince. This conversation for answers about the Nexus event feels in part of two friends hashing out the betrayal from episode two. I love when Mobius threatens Lady Sif and Loki almost begging him to wait. Owen oh, Wilson looks up with the condescending attentiveness, like, wait, wait, wait. Huh, yeah? It had me rolling. Classic Loki engaging the lie, stating Sylvie came to Loki long ago to trick Loki in Asgard. But it gets turned around when Mobius says Sylvie got pruned, a little trick of his own, having watched Loki lie so often. It's like when Thor tagged Loki on the elevator back in Thor Ragnarok, Mobius discovers Loki is swooning over Sylvie, so he uses it against him. Through Loki's hidden concern for Sylvie, us as the fourth wall can grasp the feelings and grow with them scene for scene. Before we know it, a 24-hour love becomes important to us, with death constantly hanging over these two lovebirds, making for very intense television. We believed Loki for his concern for this character after the little time we've spent with them. Mobius says what we're all thinking, you fell for yourself, but Loki making her her own person by saying her name was Sylvie. Before he would have referred to her as Loki before... Who wouldn't want to be a Loki? He respects Sylvie above himself. Mobius asking what Loki's plan was because 48 Earth hours ago, Loki didn't even know who or what the Timekeepers were. Now he seems fully on board with Sylvie's intent on overthrowing the Timekeepers, whether Loki believed that wholeheartedly before or not. Maybe they need to be overthrown. I had a box your ears. That was hilarious. You're all variants. Kidnapped from different timelines in a rush of emotions would stop anyone of this belief dead in their tracks, and for Mobius it nearly did, furthermore explaining Sylvie can access these memories that were once taken, adding value for her, for anyone possibly curious to this, Mobius realizing feelings he's been having, especially with his connection to jet skis, with more responsibility and duty, Mobius is anchored by the encouragement of Ravona. Loki saying Mobius is the biggest liar for the lies that he tells himself. Oof, right in the doubts. That's gotta hurt. Hunter B-15 with her own doubts shows us just what Loki was talking about by allowing Enchantress passage to her memories. Privately amongst the Doom timeline back at Roxxon from episode 2, 
This next scene is when I f realized fully that Ravona knew exactly what game she was playing. In an atmosphere made for wine and dinner, Mobius's boss and superior has her top button undone. Both are sitting on the same couch instead of opposite one another. It's very flirtatious and manipulative. Ravona almost trying to wash her hands of the scenario seems so cavalier about all the questions Mobius has raised by Loki. Mission accomplished. Mobius confirming his doubts pulls the most bullshit line out of Ravona. A line people say when they have nothing left to say. A line that made me stand up in an irritated amusement over the audacity this woman has demonstrated. Spitting out the line, I'm trying to protect you. Get out of here! Ravona lying as if she were in a very toxic relationship with Mobius, and when you're blinded by admiration, you'd believe any bone that is thrown your way. This is pretty real reaction to this manipulation, which makes a little later all the more heartbreaking, but the demonstration all the more meaningful in the end. I knew I was your favorite. Even at this moment, Mobius had decided he had believed Loki, stealing Ravona's temp pad, saying... He knew he was her favorite, but that hurts, because it shows that he once had affection for Ravona, and now it's turned sour by her lies. And Mobius has experience with the best liar in the universe. Sylvie in a rainy scene at Roxxon with Hunter B-15, Sylvie returns B-15's memories, which won me. We get a very emotion, emotional and tearful scene from won me, which I think is clever to do in the rain because it can pick up for the work that tears would have to carry all by themselves. The intensity added from the weather and the intensity from the two characters on opposite factions of one another, I think made for very beautiful and empowering scene play. This made me think, if you had only feelings of blind loyalty, but not room to feel yourself, would you look at the times you were happy closest? If you had to sift through all your memories of bad memories and sad times, every time that you saw yourself happy, would you hone in on that? That empathy? The ability to smile during the hard times can be the most beautiful of all, and the most powerful. The question presents itself, what now? We have our pieces on their proper alignments. It's Loki, B-15, Sylvie, and Mobius versus Ravona in the TVA. Round one, fight! Mobius gets confirmation for her doubts through recordings from C-20's interrogation, also confirming Ravona's involvement in her death. Mobius came into the next scene like Kramer and Seinfeld, shouting, Do you believe you deserve to be alone? Leading us to believe the impression that the Nexus event was caused by Loki and Sylvie's connection, because Loki didn't want himself to feel alone. Mobius forced to trust the word of two Lokis? No, a friend. Mobius telling Loki he can be a good guy for what I believe is something that Thor had said, or the first time in that Loki's life he had heard that. This hits the heaviest because right after that, something truly heartbreaking, heartbreaking happened. Mobius was pruned. So I watched Scrubs. Loved it. It was my favorite show of all time, and in one episode, the two main characters are trying to help a patient feel okay with dying. They tell him, if I died, I'd think of the last happy thought I had. And that's what I believe Mobius did here. He came to terms with his death saying he would have liked to live his old life. Possibly on a jet ski. Maybe he liked jet skis. He likes jet skis. Loki made a definitive friend through and through and lost him in an instant. I think solidifying my need for Ravona to go down, way down, rock bottom. I don't even need Mephisto or Kang at this point. Not before I will watch Ravona go down for the death of my boy Momo. Ravona using Mobius' death to steal herself for her duty, while Loki uses it as a drive to bring everything crashing down. The hero and the villain are laid out in front of us by one devastating choice. Hunter B-15 now exiled and wanted the TVA for being comp- wanted by the TVA for being compromised. Lady Loki is brought in without her. Both characters checking in on one another's well-being. It's adorable. Sylvie asking Loki if he's okay. 
a tense elevator ride with Ravona, Sylvie, and Loki, serving as a precursor for grander events looming over the finale. Sylvie inquiring about her past and what Nexus event caused all this, Ravona claiming to not care or rem remember. To Sylvie, it was her whole life. With each stab, we sympathize and humanize these once-comic villain personas in a magic all of its own, now aligning us, not with evildoers, but now complex and rich characters. Looking like a cheesy fairground haunted house, we have the Chamber of the Timekeepers. Loki and Sylvie brought forth these timekeepers acting like Jim Henson's Emperor Palpatine. Loki doesn't break character boasting his durability no matter the threat. B-15 coming in just in time to relieve Sylvie from her time leash to enact rebellion against the TVA in an intimate stage set for conflict. Action scene time. Cue the fight choreography and all-around ass-kicking. All characters having a score to settle or someone to protect. It's no holds barred for the sake of time. For all time. I couldn't help think of that scene from The Last Jedi where Kylo and Rey battle in Emperor Snoke's room against the Red Guard. But this time, there were three Snokes, all equally fake. Each Loki passing around and sharing a one-handed blade in self-defense because love is a dagger, right? Each exampling, each exampling an affinity for short, sharp melee weapons, Disney having had a lot of practice with these one-on-one -on -one staff fight type combat scenes with Ahsoka in The Mandalorian being fresh in my mind, Ravona takes on Sylvie in armed combat. In classic Loki fashion, cue the throwing knife to the head maneuver, completing this epic fight scene, a beheaded animatronic reveals the timekeepers are nothing more than a cheap hoax. A question now present, who created the TVA? Loki, confused in his thoughts, thinks of something very clear, a realization, something he must tell Sylvie, struggling to tell Sylvie, something that's new to Loki. Could this have been a kiss? Love? Or was he about to reach into her memories and attempt to use Sylvie's magic on her for her benefit? Before we find out, Loki is pruned by Ravona, and instead of killing Ravona for everything she's ever done to Sylvie, Sylvie decides to inquire knowledge for a greater means to an end, not just personal satisfaction, she's acting selflessly. Cuts a black and open to credits, which we go on as normal until reaching our first end credit scene of this series, Loki awakes to a desolate and destroyed New York and asks, is this hell? In which he is greeted by four different Lokis, one variant being Kid Loki, and thus enters another Young Avenger through a Disney Plus TV show, reaffirming our Young Avengers theory from a couple episodes ago. Loki asking, is this hell? Again, though made me think of Mephisto's possible involvement again in this series alone. First showing the windowpane of the devil in episode 1 and now with this. After we know from an Avengers comic that Loki meets Mephisto on multiple occasions, once striking a deal with Mephisto to inhabit the body of a younger Loki, thus introducing Kid Loki. But that's a wrap on episode 4 of the Disney Plus series Loki, and that's a wrap on this edition of Fatal Foils. I thank you for joining us in the Deep Dive Cosmic and beyond for lore stories and canon conversation on the fandoms we love to fan over. My name is Fatal, and until next time, for all time, I'll catch you guys down the line. I'll see you later. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Fatal. You can now catch this podcast and all the podcasts we do on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and Apple. Thank you for supporting the show. Later.